seated. And a very uh, warm welcome to the long weekend. Those of you who aren't at the beach, at the cottage, or somewhere, uh, but we're here in the name of Jesus Christ to worship. And today we're beginning a new series of messages called The Pharisee in Me. Um, so if you, if you uh, have been a follower of Christ and read the Bible a lot over the years, you've heard of the Pharisees, right? And um, if, if you haven't, then you just, you're not quite sure what I'm talking about, the Pharisees. But uh, trust me, over the next number of weeks, you'll come to understand who the Pharisees are. Now, just uh, how many of you guys think the Pharisees are good guys? Good guys. Just, you know, you think Pharisees are... How many think the Pharisees are not good guys? Oh, ooh. <laughs> okay. Um, well, the Pharisees show up in the accounts of the life of Jesus in the, uh, in the Gospels. So when you go to the New Testament, you start in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and even in Acts, we see something about the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are, uh, are a, a group of people who were very religious. In fact, their roots uh, kind of derived from what were called the Hasidim. And the Hasidim were these really pious Jewish people. Um, in fact, the name for the Pharisee really at its root means to be separate. And they were really intent on keeping themselves unspotted and separate from sin and, and all kinds of wrong. Um, they were a people of the book. They loved the Bible. Um, they took it very seriously. They were knowledgeable. They studied it. They memorized it. They had a really high view of the, the, the Holy Scriptures. In fact, at the time of Jesus, there were, were three kind of religious groups that exist largely in, in Israel at that time. And one was the Pharisees. And if you've heard of the Pharisees, you probably see, heard of the Sadducees. And there was another group that we really don't, isn't really talked about um, so much in the New Testament, but they were the Essenes, and they were a group that kind of cloistered themselves away. And, and uh, so there were these three kind of, you may say, uh, competing or different uh, religious groups. And the Sadducees, um, they, they believed they were a smaller group than the Pharisees. About the time of Jesus, uh, there were about 6,000 roughly, they, they estimate about 6,000 Pharisees. And the Sadducees were a smaller group of people. A lot of them were um, higher class people. The Pharisees tend to be middle class kind of people. And, and the Sadducees, they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. So Ma uh, Matthew... Uh, <laughs> Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But the Pharisees accepted the whole Old Testament. Um, and uh, the Pharisees didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in demons. 
Um, and and uh, so they were, they were distinguished. They were kind of considered like a little more liberal than the Pharisees would be considered. But the Pharisees accepted all the Bible. They were really serious about their faith. And they sought to live a pure life uh, uh, before God. Uh, prayer was very important to them. They prayed uh, in private. They prayed in public. And uh, they wanted to, to live this total devoted life to God. They fasted regularly. They kept themselves separate from wickedness and defilement. Um, They hated sin. Uh, They valued relationships. They were faithful givers. They were meticulous in terms of their giving. Um, They were active evangelists. Uh, Jesus talks about them uh, trying to make converts. Um, They were willing to practice civil disobedience uh, for, the, for the sake of their faith. They had a high moral and ethical standard, and they really wanted to please God. And you guys don't like them. How many think they're bad? All the hands go... Nobody said, we think these guys are decent people. Um, they were, uh, you know, so we, we kind of get down on them. I, I want to suggest to you, If we were living in the time of Jesus, there's probably a good chance that a lot of us would have been Pharisees. We would have wanted to live the life that we're talking about here. Are those bad things that I'm talking about? Are are those not the kind of things that should be reflective of us as as believers? Um, And so I think we need to push pause for a second and say, okay, this, this Pharisee thing you know, we've kind of painted them with a, with, with a black brush. But maybe we need to have just another bit of a look at it. But for all of their, for all of their good that they, uh, that they stand for and all the positives about them, you know what? The funny thing is this. Jesus was hardest on them in his criticism and his strongest condemnation was leveled at the most religious and zealous people in the land, the Pharisees. So are you confused? You know, I think it can be confusing. These guys who are, are, are so into God and following God and, and, and really doing what God wants them to do. And uh, Jesus took his harshest shots at them. They did some things that were damaging. They caused hurt. And rather than sometimes attracting people to God, which is what they wanted to do, they turned people away from God. And uh, we want to look over the next few weeks about these people. These people who were on one hand were so good, and yet they they seemed to be um, so negative on another hand. We want to see what it is that makes them tick and and how they function. And we want to pause and take a look maybe at our own life and say, is there some Pharisee maybe in me? Is this kind of reflective of me? Um, And I want to warn you that as we look at their lives, um, it might be a little bit painful for us. Now, here's the interesting thing. For all of the commitment that they had, Jesus makes a really, really perplexing statement about them. In fact, it's a strong indictment that he makes against them. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, 
Jesus says this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. I mean, we're talking about the people that read their Bible, memorize their Bible, live by their Bible. Do, and, and Jesus says, these guys who are like, they are the kind of the, if you will, the super believers of their age. And, and he says, for the, if these guys, um, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the level of the people who seem to be the most righteous in the land, you're not going to heaven. There's no hope for you. God does not accept you at all. I mean, to me, that's incredibly incredible. These most sincere, uh, spiritual living people, most meticulous and careful in their faith, and Jesus is saying, if you're not better than they are, you better forget it. Uh, there's no heaven for you. I can't accept you at all. Think of that. So we want to look at these guys, and we'll start today in this whole thing, and we want to find out what it really means to find favor with God. And, uh, and what they were doing was seeking to secure their own salvation. Um, and I trust that you want to secure salvation as well. So let's, let's look at them. Um, the first thing I want to say about them is they lived meticulously according to the law. Now, in the Old Testament, God gave laws to regulate how his people live, how they relate to him, how they relate to one another, how they relate to the world. And he expected them uh, to live according to that. And in fact, in the Old Testament, there are a total of 613 laws in the Old Testament. Six, you, know, you think the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are just like a summary uh, statement of what God wants, but it's, it's fleshed out in 613 different commands, positive and negative, that will guide them in terms of how they live. It's interesting because they, were really, they really wanted to follow God. They wanted to do what's right. In fact, they were so meticulous that in Matthew 23 it says that what they do is they even take and they're to give a tithe. And in that tithe, uh, what they do is uh, they would say, uh, all right, I've got mint, so I'm going to pull off 10 leaves of mint. I'm going to take one, and that's for God. Uh, you say, well, isn't that a little ridiculous? Tithing everything? No, mint and dill and cumin and uh, their little herb garden. Everything they did, they gave to God. And, and so they were, they were absolutely meticulous in that. Um, they did their best to follow God's law. Well, secondly, what they did is they were making up their own rules. They made up their own rules. Now, it's interesting. If you want to obey God's law and God says do something, sometimes we want to know, well, like, how do you do that? So what they did, they were so intent on having this that, that they would follow the law of God that they made up laws about the laws. So if, if, if God said, for instance, um, on the Sabbath, um, if your ox falls into a pit, well, you can get it out if it's an emergency, but um, other than that, 
no, leave it alone. Or, or if, you, if somebody's sick, but they're not really sick, you can't treat them on the Sabbath. You have to wait till the next day. But if they're going to die, you can, so they begin to make up rules about the rules. Um, in fact, I have a book in my library. It's called The Mishnah. Just a little book of about uh, over a thousand pages, and this is a translation of the oral law and tradition that Jews and Pharisees would live by. This thing, look at it. I mean, it's chock full. And these are rules about the rules so that you can make sure that you keep the rules. And it's kind of fascinating to go through this because it gives all these kind of... Now, if this happens, then you have to do this and this and this. And so these guys were really into understanding and knowing about that kind of thing. And in Matthew 15, in verses 1 and 2, it says, Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, their washing wasn't like um, go soap up and, uh, and say the Lord's Prayer and don't stop washing until you finish the whole Lord's Prayer or something like that. There was, it, was, it was kind of a ritual thing. It was like, um, it's like I poured some water over my hands and so I'm ritually clean to eat. Where did that come from? Well, it's, it came from the tradition of the elders. It was some of what they did to try and express the law of God. And so they're saying, well, we made up all these other rules, and Jesus is not, and, and his followers aren't obeying the rules that we made up. Well, what they did was they made up rules about the rules so they could make sure that they were keeping the rules uh, for themselves. Well, thirdly... Um, what, what these guys did is, and, and what we can sometimes do is put our trust in our own righteousness. So what God demands of us is righteousness. What we don't have, frankly, is righteousness. Uh, not the way that God desires. And so what we, what we do then sometimes in order to be on the right side of God is what we want to do is we want to put our trust in our righteousness. So we're doing all these things and we trust that that uh, which we do will be enough to keep us. Now, it's interesting. Um, in, in Luke chapter 18, there was a man who came to Jesus, a certain ruler, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That question is, what do I have to do to be accepted with God? What do I have to do to be forgiven? What do I have to do to go to heaven, if you will? And, and uh, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Uh, he says, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. So he said, Jesus says, you, you want to know what you can do? Well, you've got to live by, and he gives basically the Ten Commandments. And uh, if you want to be righteous, you've got to live according to the whole law. And he, what he did was gave him a few. Uh, what God demands in that righteousness is that they follow what God has said. And he thought he was okay um, because he said, you know, I, I've, I've done all that stuff since I've been a kid. Um, I, I've obeyed fully. And th- like, really? You've obeyed fully? Well, the first commandment in the Ten Commandments is you shall have no other gods before me. Can you say that in your life there was never a time when you were not 
first and foremost, devoted to God and God alone. Nothing else took precedence over God. Well, none of us can say that. We always put things, uh, we often put things in front of God, other priorities that we put um, in place of Him. And, and so it's, it's interesting. He thought he was okay, and Jesus begins to give him some of the Ten Commandments. He says, uh, no adultery, no murder, stealing, lying, honor your, honor your father. Oh, he says, I've done them all. Done them all since I've been a kid. Uh, I, I'm, I'm okay. And yet there's something nagging in him. Why does he ask the question of Jesus? Uh, what do I have to do to etern- you know, inherit eternal life? And, and he didn't really get that. Um, he didn't really understand that whole concept. And he has this nagging doubt. See, he's put his security in what he does, in, how, in, in what he does to secure uh, his right standing with God. Well, you know what? There's some bad news for the Pharisees. There's some bad news for all of us. Um, when we talk about securing our own salvation... Uh, first off, uh, Jesus, when he said uh, in, the, in the Sermon of the Mount, he said, uh, you know what, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes uh, and, and the Pharisees, there's no way that you're going to make it. And then he concludes his most famous uh, and longest sermon that we have in Scripture in uh, Matthew five forty-eight, And here's how Jesus concludes the sermon. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Um, in fact, I'm, I, I'm not even going to say, uh, put up your hand. I would say, stand if you're perfect. We, we've got no takers. Um, who of us has been perfect? And what Jesus says is, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, as He is perfect, as His His standard of perfection as God, who can achieve that? No one, no one at all. In Romans three twenty three, uh, the Apostle Paul would say, "For all have sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God. The standard of God is like it, it, it's unattainable, and every one of us has sinned, and every one of us continually." fall short of the beauty and the perfection of who God is. And um, so we're, we're, kind of, we're kind of in trouble here. See, the law not only told us what God wanted us to do and how he wanted us to live, he gave us the law and those, uh, those regulations to show us how far short we have fallen, how tragic and how helpless our state is. So in Romans chapter 3 and verse 19 and 20, it says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, all these laws in the Old Testament, it says to those who are under the law, why? Why? What's the purpose? So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. He says, says, why we, we have this law? is to show us that we fall so far short of it. Um, he says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sights by the works of the law, because everybody's failed the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of our sin, our neediness. And, and that's God's purpose. Every mouth silenced, accountability that, that we see and, and we're conscious of our sin and our failure. Uh, Galatians 3, 10, 
uh, says this. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So if you, if you were able to live an almost perfect life, but there was one tiny flaw, he says it's not enough. That defies God's standard, and you're cursed because if you've broken one thing, you're a lawbreaker, and you've broken the law, and God can't accept you. Um, this is bad news. Here, you know, 613 of these commandments in the Old Testament, um, and, and not only did, not only did J- Jesus make this difficult in that way, he said, you know what, you haven't really understood the law. He said, it says... You shall not commit adultery, Jesus said. He says, okay, you haven't committed adultery, right? Right, haven't committed adultery. All right, he says, if you've looked lustfully on someone from the, uh, somebody from the opposite sex, and, and you in your mind have committed adultery in your mind, you're guilty. Ouch. So you mean it's not just that I don't do the deed, it's, it's what goes on in my head, it's my attitude. He says, if, you're, um, if you, you say, well, I haven't murdered anybody, I hope nobody's murdered anybody here, um, but you said, but I hate somebody. Jesus said, you know what? what? What that hatred you have is like murder in your head, and you're guilty. So he took that and made it so Uh, so lofty and so high. And for all the attempts that we might have or the Pharisees had uh, to try to be good, to try and earn God's love and acceptance through all our efforts, it's hopeless. Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds the level of these most religious guys, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. You know, the great thing is that God didn't want to leave us there. Uh, God didn't want to leave us in that kind of a state. And so we have our only hope. Our only hope. And, and in the passage that was read for us earlier, we hear of the hope of God. He started out saying that basically we're all done for in, in Ephesians 2. But here in Ephesians 2, he says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. So what is the hope we have? The hope we have is in Jesus. And he says, first off, it's by grace. It's by grace we've been saved. Grace is God's kindness. Grace is what God does for us that we don't deserve. It's his favor. It's something that we can't earn. It's just God being good and kind to us in ways that we, we absolutely don't deserve, don't earn, don't merit in any way. Secondly, he said, it's by faith. By faith. It's not trusting in your efforts But it's relying on God's plan. When he sent Jesus to die on the cross to take the punishment for our our sin. That that not only did he do that, but he raised him from dead to verify that he accepted what Jesus did on our behalf. And he says it's by faith in this message of what God has done for us. that, That it's putting our faith, 
putting our trust in him. Um, it's believing in him. It's relying on him, not on ourselves. It's by faith. It's not by anything you do. It's by believing. Well, well thirdly, he says it's a gift. It's a gift. It's freely given. You can't pay for it. If, if you give me a gift, you don't expect me to pull out my wallet and say, oh, oh that is so kind of you. Let me, let me pay you for that. What did it cost you? That's not a gift. This is a free gift. And, and, uh, and Paul tells us that the hope we have uh, comes through God's grace, and it's by faith, and it's a gift that's freely given to us. And, and fourthly, it's not by our own effort. It's not by our effort. He says it's not by works. It's not by deeds. You can't do enough to earn it. You, 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 can't, uh, you can't make it on your own. It's not by your deeds. You know, I've thought, if you ended up in the North Atlantic, in the middle of the Atlantic, dropped in the middle of the water, uh, it would be a hopeless situation. Uh, you would suffer from hypothermia. You may be able to keep floating for a while. If you, if you were a, a great, great swimmer, you may be able to swim for 20 miles or 30 miles or, or 100 kilometers, something crazy like that. But you would never, ever make it. It would be hopeless. And, and uh, we need to recognize that it's not by our effort. We need an outside rescue. We are unable to rescue ourselves. And he says the purpose for all of this is that only God can then get the credit. Only God gets the credit. He said nobody can boast, he says, if all you did was receive a gift. If all you did was say, I can't do anything, but I will gratefully receive what you have done for me on the basis of your kindness and I can't take any credit for it. You know what I found about, often about some of us who are religious people, maybe? Um, we're, we're really uh, kind of big on ourselves. We want to take credit. We want to think that somehow we did something that merited God's special favor. And it's just not so. Everything is of grace. Everything that God did is only of grace. And that's the gospel. The gospel, the good news that Jesus brings. It's about what he did for us that we can't do for ourselves. You know, there are two ways to try and be accepted by God. One is by our effort, and we just saw that that doesn't work, or on the basis of what God has done for us. His effort, what he accomplished, and you know, the interesting thing is every religion that's out there is based upon what we do to earn God's favor or whatever God it is. The thing that distinguishes Christianity in its purest form is this, that this isn't about what we do to get God to accept us or like us. This is about what God has done that we can't do. Uh, uh, Bill Hybels would say, it's either do or done. Do is what I have to do to get God on side. Done is God has done it for us. And we have to, uh, we have to rest in that. You know, here's the thing about the gospel. It's kind of offensive. Because the gospel says to every one of us, because y'all look so good, y'all 
clean and nicely dressed and you carry yourself well and, and there's a measure of dignity and, and, and the gospel says, I don't care how good you look, I don't care how many good things that you have done or, or any of the rest of that, but you need to understand none of that will get you anywhere because as I see you, you're hopeless, helpless, filthy, you're a lawbreaker, and there's nothing that can commend you to me because you don't realize how high, how lofty my standard is. And that can be, that can be so offensive to people that that's me, that's not how we want to talk. We want a religion where, where we can earn something, where we can find merit in who we are and what we've done. That's how we live all of our life. But it's an incredible relief that we can discover that it's not by working feverishly to get God on side. It's by receiving the gift that he's given to us, knowing that we can never, ever do enough, and we can never pay for all the wrong in our past. And that God's standard of perfection is beyond us, and to know that he loves us, and he sent Jesus to die for us. And if we would put our faith and trust in him, it would be his righteousness we receive. And he would see us in that way. And you can stop fretting because when you've got to save yourself, when you've got to rescue yourself, you never know when you've done enough. Have you done enough? Uh, and I'm going and going and, 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 and I don't know whether I've made it. See, the problem is you can never, ever make it. It's only when you accept what Jesus has done for you. A very, very famous Pharisee who came to understand that he was on the wrong track. He was trying to save himself by his own efforts. Um, His name was Saul of Tarsus. We know him better as the Apostle Paul. He was the guy who rose in ranks um, in terms of in the religious world. Uh, He studied under great teachers, and um, he came to understand uh, through a confrontation with Jesus uh, that he had it all wrong. And um, his story in his life, he tells us a little bit about in Philippians 3. And uh, he, says, he says this about his journey. He says, uh, for it's we who are the circumcision. That's another way to say uh, Jewish people. And it's another way in, in, to, to talk about Christians who are set apart to God. It was a sign of the covenant. Uh, we serve God by spirit who boast in Christ Jesus. We don't boast in ourselves. We boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. What does he mean by no confidence in the flesh? He says, we don't put any confidence in our own works that we do. We put our confidence is in Jesus Christ. Our boast is in Jesus Christ. He says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. He says, if you want to talk about confidence in what you do, being good enough, he says, I can do that. And then he goes on to say, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh more than I am, and sometimes Paul just does this for argument's sake, because he says, you want to go one-on-one on me about goodness? You want to see who's the more righteous? Um, I, can, I can do some bragging about that. And so he goes on to say this. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day 
That was a sign of the covenant between God and the people of God, and it was to be the eighth day. He said, I complied with that rule of the law, or at least my parents did on my behalf. He said, I'm I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the people who were chosen by God. We're the chosen people. And uh, I came from the tribe of Benjamin. And he saw that as something notable as well, a special tribe. He said, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And that's just a way of saying, you know, like, I was like top of the heap in terms of my, uh, my religion and my ethnic background. He said, in regards to the law... I was a Pharisee. That was me. I kept all the rules and regulations. I, as for zeal, I mean, I was so zealous that I thought this Christian group was nuts. And I thought they were wrong. And so I persecuted them. I, I put people to death. I did everything I could to try and keep Judaism pure by, by putting these people to death and persecuting the church. And as far as righteous, righteousness based on the law, man, I was faultless. He said, I did everything. Um, next, next slide. He said, but whatever were gains to me, all of these stuff that I could say, here's my resume of who I am. This is my spiritual background. This is what I've done. He said, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. All the stuff that I, I amassed to say, I'm a good guy, God should love me, God should accept me, here's all my stuff, here's my pedigree, here's my dossier, here's everything that I've accomplished in my life. And uh, he says, it's, it's no good, I lost everything. And he says, I consider them garbage. Um, you could translate that literally, manure. All his righteousness, he said, Loss, nothing, garbage, manure. Didn't do me one bit of good. That, that I, I couldn't have Christ and have all that other stuff that I relied upon. And so he said that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law of doing all these things and saying, look at me, I've done it, I've made it. He said, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He said, I discovered it. I was going, I was trying to, to get God on my side, to doing all this stuff. And he said, I came to realize that was not it. That would get me nowhere. All this stuff that I, I put so much stock in. Now, I, he said, I just had to blow that away. He said, it's manure. It won't do anything to help me. What will help me is that I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I've, my righteousness comes from God, doesn't come from me on the basis of my trust in Jesus Christ. And that's the message. Now I want to ask you a question. What are you trusting in for God to accept you? What are you trusting in? What are you doing? How, what's your plan? What's you, how, are you, how are you getting God on your side so that God says, oh yeah, John, Mary, good person. I accept them. They're, they're with me. Jesus said, if your righteousness doesn't exceed, if it doesn't surpass these meticulous religious people, you're hopeless. What's going to happen is it's going to be trusting in me. You know, I did a funeral once, and um, 
a lady said to me, I, I, whether it was a daughter, I can't remember. She said, if anyone deserves to go to heaven, it's my dad. If anyone deserves it. And I thought, this, this was a person who was not even a churchgoer. But this person had determined that this guy, he deserves it. And I, I thought to myself, are you kidding me? You don't understand this one little bit. None of us deserves it. None of us is worthy of it. It's all by grace. Do you know what the neatest thing is? When, when somebody really gets this, when they really understand this, and, and they've, they've wanted God on side, and, and, and some of you may have been trying to do everything you can to please God, realizing that what you're offering Him can never please Him because it's always flawed. What he wants you to do is trust his son. The Apostle Paul would say in Galatians 2 that he said, um, if there were another way, if there were another way to find acceptance with God, then he said, um, Jesus died in vain. What the biggest tragedy is that Jesus died and it wasn't necessary because you could make it another way other than Jesus. No, it's only through Jesus. And you can stop trying to win God's approval and you can understand he loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross. He sent his son who lived perfectly and kept all of the law. Never failed in anything. Not, not in deed, not in action, not in thought, not in, in attitude, everything. He fully fulfilled what God wanted for us. And then he gave his life as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin. And you know what's so neat? When you receive that gift and you realize, I could never get this. And what you do is you start now to live for him, not to get him on side or make him like you. But you do it because you love him and you are so grateful for all that he's done for you. Have you taken that step? Have you realized you can't do it on your own? That it's only through him? My prayer is that if you haven't realized that, even in today, that you would just you'd get that. And uh, talk to me. There'll be some people up here uh, who would be happy to pray with you or talk with you. Um, you can't make it on your own. But Jesus paid it all. And it's by grace, through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift. It's not of works that you could never do so that in the end, the only person we can boast about is Jesus and what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, mm, this is the gospel. This is the good news that we need. This is the good news that the world needs. And Father, the poor Pharisees were trying to get you on side, doing as much as they did and could hoping that you would accept them and yet still having doubts in their mind how do I inherit eternal life is this good enough is it enough thank you for what Jesus has done and father I pray for if there's somebody who's been trying to do it on their own they would stop that striving right now and turn in faith to Jesus and said Jesus you have done it all for me I accept that gift.
In Jesus' name, amen.